Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we are talking about the ultimate homestead pig, the Cooney Coonies. In our opinion anyways. Yeah, we think they're the ultimate. We yes, we really do. decide we like them. We're going to talk about why and you know some cool things about the Cooney Cooney pigs today. And they are a cool pig. Absolutely. But first... Little chit chat. What have you been up to? I beat you to it. Ah, gosh. I I was going to buy myself some time. What is going on with you here on the homestead? Well, you know, by the time you guys watch this, we'll be at the the other side of a whole lot of events that are coming up for us. And so there's been a lot of energy put into getting ready for a lot of fun events. And um, the first one is that We have Joel Salatin coming Mm -hmm. to stay at our house for a couple of days. Some of you guys have uh, uh, signed up for the consult that will be here at our house with Joel Salatin and then over at a neighbor's farm um, the next day. And people are coming and getting to watch that. So They're getting to watch and learn as as, uh, Joel gives us advice. Yes. So this would be very interesting. Hopefully I'm not in trouble for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so there's a lot to do to be prepared for that. Yep. But then right in the middle of the two days that Joel's here, we're doing a farm to table dinner with him here on the property. And so that's really exciting. And that is uh, all sorts of details uh, that need to be taken care of. And then as soon as that's done, Josh and I are jumping in the car to head to Coeur d'Alene and be down there for a couple days for the Modern Homesteading Conference. Yeah. So um, as you guys are seeing this, again, it'll be all done. It'll be all over. We're pre-filming because we've got so much going on. Uh, so hopefully some of you guys have been there and we've gotten to hang out with you at that point. Yeah, hopefully but, we'll meet you at the conference, some yeah. of you there. Yeah. The conference is going to be great. A lot of good speakers. Of course, Joel's going to be there and Daniel yeah. and Melissa K. Norris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Shear, Anna Briggs, Anna Vault Trades, so a whole speaking, lot of people. I'm speaking. Yep. We're yep. speaking together. We're actually doing a live in-person pantry chat. So that'll be that's a lot gonna of fun. That's going to be cool. It's going to be very different because we'll get to look at all of you, not just looking at the camera. But yeah. That's going to be fun. It'll be kind of cool. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited that we have a homestead conference on the West, in the West. There's really nothing like this in the West. HOA and most of those are kind of mid-country or East. So I'm really excited and happy to support just having this conference and thanks to our friend Melissa K. Norris who's really put this all together mm-hmm. uh, and this is first year but it's it's going to be a recurring oh, thing so, so that the western United States has a place to come and talk home setting. Yeah 
Very cool. Absolutely. Aside from that, I cannot believe that I forgot to grab it, but we have a brand new issue of the magazine, the In the Homestead Kitchen magazine out right uh, now, which I'm really uh, excited about because it's all about peaches and oh, it is great. And we've got the magazine just continues to grow and expand and there's more and more fun stuff in there. Lots of uh, articles, lots of recipes, uh, specifically recipes on preserving, which are hard to find out there um, in the magazine world. So make sure you check that out. I'll put the link in the description. You can uh, check out your uh, where to get a subscription for that digital magazine. Very cool. So it'd be really fun. It's a beautiful magazine. It keeps growing. It's getting, I'm watching the Watching it get thicker and thicker. Thicker and thicker every yeah, time. It's very exciting. Um, so aside from that on the homestead, though, we have been playing with goat cheese now. Now That's that we right. have, We're in goat goat we milk. have goat's milk right now and no cow milk. Yes. Um, which is interesting. We'll get back into cow milk. That's a whole other story. Yep. <laughs> but you've got lots of goat's milk. Yeah. So we've been making like uh queso fresco we made one the other day seasoned with the spicy pluck if you guys aren't familiar with what pluck is it's a seasoning blend that is created with um the offal of uh, animals the organs from Organate. animals the, the very you know a lot of that's very very nutritious and healthy it's just most of us aren't great at eating it. Yeah. And I can't. Do you remember the guy's name, the chef that oh, created gee. this? No, not offhand. Yeah. But um, but I know I'm going to have him on the pantry chat for an interview in the next couple of months. Oh, very here. cool. Yeah, I'm really wow. excited about that. So yeah. he took this great idea of like this super nutrient-dense food that mm -hmm. none of us really want very to eat good that at much. Eating these days. <laughs> And he turned them into seasoning blends, freeze-dried them and powdered them and turned them into a seasoning blends, which are phenomenal. You would have no clue that you're eating great organ meat. Um, and you can put, I've put them on eggs, I've put them on everything. We did the queso goat, queso fresco with the spicy uh, pluck the other day. They have different varieties of seasoning mm -hmm. blends and... Oh my goodness, we put them on taco salads last night. It was great. It was so good. Very good. <laughs> it was very good. So we've been having fun playing with that. So She's also not telling you we've been having goat milk lattes. We have been having goat milk lattes. It, it's better than I expected, I will say. that I, I do look forward to getting back to good cow's milk lattes because that's where <laughs> my heart lies. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Uh, but very fresh goat milk is very good. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been enjoying that. But what about you? What are you doing? What have you been up Ooh, to? Well, a lot around the same, just getting ready for the consult with Joel. I said something a minute ago about, I hope I don't get in trouble. It's not about being in trouble, but I'm nervous. I mean, Joel Salatin's coming to consult and analyze our homestead and farm. And, and I had to fill out a questionnaire. And um, I think the question was like, what are you most afraid of? And so I think for me, I'm most afraid of hearing that I've invested in some serious systems that were the wrong direction, wow. put a lot of work, money into some systems that maybe, I mean, I feel good about them, but I know there are definitely things different than he would do probably. So I'll be curious what he thinks about them in our context. So, you know, there's that, but it is going to be great. Uh, I get to talk to Joel a little bit here and there. Really, really excited to have him. He's staying here with us on the farm. And uh, so really just getting ready for that. We mm -hmm. were already working to clear uh, some land for additional pasture on our right. land. We have some very young, overgrown, just wrecked forest that's good pasture land, but it has some challenges. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. So I've been working hard 
uh, to get some of that cleared so that we can look at it with him and the people that are attending the console to talk about reclaiming some of that land, which he's great at. Um, so that's fun. So getting ready for that, getting ready for the farm to table, of course, and the conference and the presentations. And then I'm teaching a class for school traditional skills Ooh. after that. So it's a crazy couple of weeks uh, filming a class that won't come out for a while, but filming a class on multi-species rotational grazing for the small homestead. That's a mouthful. All right. We'll figure out how to call it something different. But <laughs> So really getting ready for all of that besides just managing the homestead. And uh, we've got a lot of animals out to pasture right now. Pigs, sheep, uh, egg layers, uh, meat chickens, 200 meat chickens with a couple hundred more coming here in a week or so. And uh, managing grass, which has been great. Mm -hmm. We're third year after doing some uh, land shaping work on pasture and it was in pretty bad shape. Yes. And um, I'm going to hopefully do a couple of videos this summer about this, but it's really exciting. This is third year of doing some multi-species rotational grazing and the pasture starting to explode. And we're having really good weather this this year too that helps. It, it is, is good this grass, is grass weather. growing weather. So anyways, a lot of focus on systems out in the pasture uh, along with uh, the garden systems and the barn and everything else, just keeping the homestead moving along and um, working on instructors and classes for School of Traditional Skills. So All right. it's Exciting busy. stuff. It's busy. It's never boring around here. <laughs> it is never boring. <laughs> Occasionally I vote for boring just for a day or two. I get bored easily, so that gets... Yeah, by the end of the day, though, she's <laughs> of boredom. She's looking for things to do. And I'm not far behind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so diving into the question of the day today, um, Samantha Ellis on the DIY hoop house video. Okay. Okay, asks, what plants are you growing under the arch? In the DIY hoop house? Yes. Okay. So that is, so the DIY hoop house is about 60 feet long, 64, five feet, something like that, built out of cattle panels, flexible cattle panels to make an arch that she's referring to with uh, greenhouse plastic over it in this case. We actually have two, one doesn't have greenhouse plastic, but the hoop house does. And that's where we're growing the bulk of our tomatoes, our peppers, our cucumbers, um, and a, a few, few lonely eggplants. A few lonely eggplants in there. Yeah, sometimes we throw onions in there. Um, but that's it. Now, we've done melons in there. We've done a little, um, experimented with a little bit of okra, things that don't mm -hmm. grow well in the north, um, which we've moved those, though, because the couple people, not myself much, I guided, but we got the greenhouse, which is not very big, but we got that rehab this year that was kind of falling apart. We had a greenhouse and, on the property when we moved in, and it was not being utilized well. It was in bad shape. Yeah, it was no yeah. watering system. And anyway, so Rachel, our oldest daughter, and we have two interns here, apprentices, um, they rehabbed it and they did a great job. So now we've got melons, 
We've got, we've even got sweet potatoes growing. We we'll sweet see, potatoes. we'll see what the harvest does, but, <laughs> and we've got some uh, okra, more okra, which I think we'll get a good yield on. So it's amusing because right now we're trying to figure out how to cool down the greenhouse because. <laughs> even though we're like having a very cool June and you can see I'm in flannel. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting here like holding my late coffee. June <laughs> and uh, we're waking up to 40 degree weather. Uh, but it gets warm enough during the day that that they thing's cranking. Are happy, happy yeah. plants in there. So. Yeah. So we're basically the DIY hoop house is basically like um, you know leaning towards a greenhouse, basically um, that type of thing. Yeah. Helps us uh, gain a little heat and help with some of these warm weather crops that really don't like North Idaho very much. In the hoop house that is not covered with plastic, we kind of call that the the bean the tunnel. The bean tunnel. Yeah. Um, we're growing peas on about a third of it mm -hmm. and uh, green beans on about two thirds. And then under that, we tend to plant um, the, cabbages? yeah, some cabbages. Mm -hmm. There's kohlrabi under there. Oh yeah, um, sure. The shade of the beans often helps to um, protect it from the flea beetles. Well, they don't like the shade as much for some reason. I don't know why, but if you have them in the shade under the bean tunnel and then you'll have a cabbage right outside in the full sun, you can see the difference. The flea beetles, and that's one of the things we really struggle with here mm -hmm. is the flea beetles. And they will just completely decimate what's out in the sun and they won't so much what's in the shade. This year, we're maybe not having so much luck with that because the I did the a great job starting the cabbages yep. early. And they're more mature than the beans, so they're not in shape beans yet. Beans <laughs> and peas are just growing slow. It's a cool, damp June. Yeah. yeah. But I got to tell you, you are, like Carolyn was saying, flea beetles are our largest challenge as far as a bug. Most mm -hmm. We have a few others, but that, that's like our nemesis. That's the one thing. <laughs> we don't do a lot of neem oil or even the organic sprays. We try to leave it to some very basic solutions. It hasn't been working well, so Carolyn really pushed for netting over our... Um, our cauliflowers and our broccolis and some of our cabbages and that is working really really well a um, little bit of a management to figure out there but it's working great and so far um, containing the flea beetles so hopefully... we brought in five big heads of cauliflower the other day and there were literally two bugs on all of it that i could find and usually yeah. i am just oh trying to clean them off so that was a very happy moment for me good stuff yeah, yeah. good yep okay so jumping in to pigs. the main topic the ultimate for today. homestead pig yeah so we've had cooney coonies now for about a little over a year and a half a year and a half and and um it's the first time this year and a half that we've kept pigs full-time on the farm we've always mm -hmm. done seasonal feeders for the last oh, what 15 17 years whatever it's like been that. And never really wanted to breed pigs, never really wanted pigs full time, but always just kind of watching and thinking about like, eventually we want to get there. Eventually we want that resilience that, you know, it's become important to us to have breeding animals, reproducing assets, if you will, <laughs> on the homestead. And because um, it's expensive. I mean, in our area now to buy a feeder pig, it's 150 to 300 dollars to, yeah, to buy a feeder pig. Yeah, and you still have to feed it out. And you still have to feed it out. So, um and so we wanted to go, we wanted to start breeding pigs, producing our own pigs, but Carolyn wanted to produce more lard. Talk about that for a minute. Okay. So when it comes to pigs, you have two different kinds of pigs, right? You've got meat pigs and you have something that's called lard pigs. That doesn't mean that they don't have meat, but it does mean that they have a much higher ratio of fat. Mm -hmm. 
on the homestead, one of the most challenging things to produce the enough of is fat, different fats. Well, and expound on that a little bit,、um, like how you use the fats, because a lot、right. of people think fats are bad. Why would you want so、right. much fat?、Um, and then in our particular situation, looking at dairy and everything. Yeah, well, fat is kind of what makes the world go round. Like from Oiling your cutting boards to greasing things to you know all of your cooking, you always need some fat in your cooking.、Um, you you end up needing fat in your kitchen. Some people use、uh, oils, you know, cooking oils.、Um, you've got things like your olive oils that you usually use more raw, and then you've got things like butter or lard. Um, and those are the things that are the, one of the hardest to produce because they、um, they come in smaller quantities, right? <laughs> and everything you do, they're going to be there in smaller quantities. It's a lot easier to produce the protein part or the vegetable part than it is the fat part. And、um, so, as we've been walking down this journey, our first solution to trying to raise our own fat on the homestead was、uh, butter. Mm-hmm. Made a lot of、sure. sense because we have、sure. a cow and she produces a lot of cream, so it's like let's make butter. The thing with making butter, I mean, it's delicious, it's phenomenal, especially if you have raw cream right out your back door. I, I, I love bread with my butter. <laughs> exactly, as as do most of us. <laughs> but.、Um, But it requires a lot of work, actually, separating off the cream from the cow, and then weekly at least churnings. To get into the freezer to have it last for the year,、um, it's a lot of work for a much smaller return. So your other options are plant oils, which I am really excited to be exploring that angle and be learning about some plant oils,、um, like from seed oils. Those are you know require special machinery and all of that, but you do have your lard. Your fat, and your animal fat, fat. your animal、yeah. fat, and it is incredibly efficient to feed an animal, and then on a single day you get to do all of your lard rendering for the whole year. And lard, if rendered correctly, will sit on a cool pantry shelf for up to a year, and you know does a great job. What is really amazing is that when we started using the lard, we were kind of like, "Whoa, what do you what do you use it in? You know, isn't everything going to taste awful?" and Easily, you can start like sautéing your vegetables and using it for meats and and the savory things. But we've been experimenting more and more with putting it into other foods like pastries, cookies, cakes. Fried、we、up made, some lake trout in it on yeah, Father's Day. Lake trout, phenomenal.、Uh, we did croissants, homemade sourdough croissants with lard instead of butter, and you guys, it is phenomenal. It. Most people cannot tell the difference. If I ask my kids now, they'll be like,、mm, "Yeah, I could tell you that it's made with lard," because they've thought about it a lot, and we've、yeah. been experimenting. Like, can you tell? Can you not tell? So they've really de- had a palate defined there.、Mm-hmm. But to begin with, nobody even knew that I was using lard as I started making these changes. The only place we really reserve butter for at this point is for when it's going to go on the table, so you can spread it on your toast. Because nobody wants to spread lard on their toast. Well, and it's it's good、yeah. cook, and in, in a cooking medium, it seems to work everywhere、mm-hmm. and replace butter just fine. But you know, just spreadable. Yeah. Top of something, not so much. One of the things you're not bringing out that you've talked about. Is just the volume 
like butter's great. I mean, there's the work that goes into it, but it's it's a lot of work for the return. You only get so much cream out of a cow. Yeah. And even though we have a large cow that produces well, we'd have to have at least probably three cows just to get enough cream to supply, you know, the butter need, the, yeah. fat, the fat need. And, and of course, we have to qualify that for any new listeners. We have a very large household. We're usually feeding 15-ish people. A meal, right. at a meal. And so you, you wouldn't need, most average families wouldn't need three cows just to have butter, but it is. It depends. But if you're starting lot. to cook with it, if you're starting to mm-hmm. use it, if you're moving away from store-bought fats and you're trying to figure out healthy fats and animal fats, butter kind of becomes the go-to. Right. But then you quickly find, well, you need a lot more butter to replace your other uses. Mm-hmm. And the cow, while she may produce a lot of milk, is only going to produce so much butter. So you either need more cows, which that's an interesting discussion, having just spent a lot of time with Sean right. and Beth Doherty and how they do it. They do have more cows and they feed the farm with the extra milk, right. pretty much use up all of their cream and fats. But mm-hmm. for us, in, in the volume we're talking about, um, going to lard has just made a lot of sense in getting uh, the volume of fats we need for our household, well, plus, plus extra. So it's not just for eating. There's so much you can do with a good with, with lard. And with that cow, you know, you're only going to get so much milk every week. It's not like you can just do it once and then you're done. And that's something that I really like about the lard is we have a big lard day and we produce the lard we need for yeah, the year. pretty much a year's worth of lard and yeah. then it's done and so that's really helpful yeah so bringing this back to the cooney coonies the cooney coonies are incredible lard pigs and so not only do you get the meat off of them but you get a lot of good fat that you can turn into this phenomenal lard that you can pretty much grease the whole household with right like <laughs> it's good stuff so that for us has been a really big piece of having the cooney coonies it has, but let's back up a little bit. So okay. we know we wanted a fat pig. Yes. There are multiple pigs that are good fat pigs. There's Cooney Coonies, there's American Guineas, there's Mangalitsas, there's the Idaho Pasture Pig, to name a few. Um, all heritage or, or modern kind of heritage breeds, but there's a lot of good heritage meat breeds as well. And so it kind of came down to, okay, we want, we want a pig that can produce a lot of lard for us, not just hams and bacons. Right. And so that's a type of pig. Which one do we go with? So there's some other criteria to come in there. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I didn't want in a pig was, and one of the reasons we haven't just had them on the homestead full time is because I didn't want a rooting pig just tearing everything up or having this one place that was a big mess all the time. And so we've used pigs seasonally. We've been able to use their rooting in, in advantageously in seasons to mm-hmm. prepare a piece of ground or turn large compost piles or different things. And that's great seasonally. Um, and we're still doing that. We actually have a couple of bacon pigs um, <laughs> right. from a neighboring farm doing turning some deep bedding for us in the barn. But full time, if we're going to breed pigs, we want lard. How do we want to manage that? And I really wanted a pig that could grace, mm. uh, that was non-rooting and was resilient because one of the things we're slowly working on is getting feed costs down. Yes. Feed costs are expensive. We're, it's obviously dependent on a certain amount of industrialization in machinery. We're probably always going to have some dependence on that, but how do we reduce that? And, and without rooting. Well, from my research, the Cooney one is the only pig that doesn't root. So non-rooting pig, there are not very many non-rooting pigs. And there are a few that supposedly don't root, like the Idaho pastured pigs, but everybody I know that's tried that, they've ended up rooting. They're trying to, they're trying to blend the Cooney Coonies with, I forget what variety to get the growth, get the meat. 
um, but not have the rooting, that hasn't been dependable. There are even some coonies apparently that do root. But the line that we bought came from uh, somebody that's been developing coonies for a long time. Specifically I, for me. Specifically for, for yeah. me. And we watched a friend of ours in California for, for six years have cooney coonies out to pasture. Mm -hmm. Never rooted. So after watching that, I said, okay, I'm sold. We're ready. <laughs> and we brought them in. And so here they're good lard producers. Uh, they're not rooters, so they're not going to tear everything up. We can use them. They graze grass, so I can use them around the edges to clean up areas we've been weed whacking. So we're doing less labor, spending less, less money on fuel. But, but I'm sorry, let me just add in here before you, you come to your, your thing, because you're getting somewhere. They're also really easy to keep in. Which oh, is they're, amazing. They're, they're super friendly. They're, yeah. yeah, they're not your normal pig that just runs off and squeals. Matter of fact, yeah. they're generally going to come up to you and ask for a scratch. Yeah. And sometimes lay down and roll over. So they're kind of like a dog. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're keeping them in with a little bit of electric yeah, wire. Yeah, single wire. Um, we have two because we're using these Gallagher tread-ins. But even the, the brand new piglets, we had piglets this year. They love to be scratched, petted. They're easy to move. Yeah. So you're right. right. Super easy to handle. The thing that has just sold me into the category of the ultimate homestead pig, though, is the maintenance cost. <laughs> so when we bought these pigs a year and a half ago, they came up from kind of dryland, deserty area on hay. It was a warmer climate. I was concerned about them coming to the cold in the north. And that, that can be a problem with animals. We've moved around. We've brought animals from different regions. That can be an issue. Pigs can get particularly susceptible to moisture and cold. And... Um, so, and they came in in the fall. So I'm worried about them going through winter. And I ended up getting these pigs way too fat, which right. meant they didn't breed. And because I just, I didn't want to be pushing them too hard in the winter. I've been yeah. working for a year and I've gotten to where I've actually had to test out, can these pigs really survive on just grass and some food scraps in the winter? And the answer is yes. These pigs are staying fat, they're staying healthy, and they're 100% on grass right now. When we go into the cold season, we got to start bringing them out from the grass. It's literally food scraps. And if we don't have enough food scraps for some reason, some alfalfa pellets, maybe a little bit of grain more just because we feel like we should because <laughs> they like it. <laughs> um, that makes them the ultimate homestead pig because they're surviving on what we have. We literally need zero inputs to take care of the pigs. That is year round phenomenal. in our environment. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. All of a sudden, you have breeding stock that you are not paying to feed. Yeah. Like, the sheep don't even fall into that category. We have to bring the, the hay in for the sheep. Right. Um, even though they're out on pasture the whole rest of the year here. But that is, to me, like this moment where it's, aha, you take something that is, you know, buying fat, buying good quality fat at the store is one of the more expensive things you're going to get. Yep. Um, if you've ever found good grass pastured pork lard at a grocery store, then that's amazing because it's really hard to find. You know, you usually get that really trashy stuff from the grocery store mm -hmm. that I would never feed anybody. Like they call it lard, but it's not really, I don't know what that stuff is. But, um, you know, this stuff is expensive and you are completely raising it on your kitchen scraps. Like, aha. Yep. Uh -huh. 
That's so a that's big a, aha moment. That it's is. It's huge for us. It's a huge moment. So let's recap that. So they can survive on zero external inputs. Right. Okay. They are living off of what we're producing on the farm <clears throat> without having to work hard to produce anything else. Yeah. Um, they are actually cleaning up grass, cleaning up areas. They're easy to contain and manage. So we can use them in these areas around equipment. We can put up a fence real easy and they mow down this area or that area. And so they've reduced our labor. They've reduced our fuel costs. Mm -hmm. And they've reduced kitchen costs as far as the fats and the different things where the butter wasn't enough for our household. So you were having to buy in either more right. butter or more inputs. Um, that just all those things together and that that just makes them the ultimate homestead pig, in my opinion. Wow. Cool. Yeah. That is pretty neat. So yeah. we're going to keep raising them ourselves. We're breeding them, raising them. And... Uh, Selling them eventually. Selling them eventually when we yep. have enough. Right now, we're just enjoying them. <laughs> yep. All right, you guys. We hope you'll consider looking at Cooney Coonies yourself if they're a right fit for you. Drop us your questions yep. or thoughts. And I know some of you are going to tell me that Cooney's root. There may be some out there that root, but I promise you there are Coonies that do not root ever. At all. You'd have to starve them to make them root. But let us know your thoughts. Give us your feedback. And uh, we will see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.